Church of God, today we are beginning a new series in our morning worship service on the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, a letter that we've been turning to more and more in recent days as we have mourned and still mourn the deaths of beloved friends and family members and sisters and, sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ. The funeral texts for both Arlene Heidbert and Ray Dedman were taken from 2 Corinthians. And there's good reason for that because in this letter, we see a much more pastoral side of the Apostle Paul. Between the writings of 1 and 2 Corinthians, something terrible has happened. And we don't know exactly what that is. We're given hints and whispers throughout this letter, but that's all they are, just hints and whispers. We see glimpses throughout this letter that something very hurtful has happened between Paul and the Corinthians. And while we don't know exactly what it is, we do know that Paul and the Corinthian church have begun to reconcile. And while the conflict brought deep sorrow, the reconciliation brings great joy and this is a joy that we can see from the opening sentences of this letter. And if you'll turn with me now to uh, 2 Corinthians 1, that's where we're going to begin this series. The great Dutch theologian and statesman Abraham Kuyper was a powerful leader throughout his life. He was a journalist, a theologian, and prime minister of the Netherlands. He was an impressive and outspoken man, an influential leader, a commanding speaker, and a gifted writer. But toward the end of his life, Kuiper lived through World War I. And those who knew him say that he was not the same man after that war. The horror of war broke his spirit. He sounded different. He acted different. He was a different man, changed by the suffering and terror of the war to end all wars. And that's kind of what we see here with Paul. There are no serious scholars who doubt that Paul wrote both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but when you compare these two letters, you see a very different man. The Paul who writes 2 Corinthians has gone through terrible suffering. And in this letter, he goes deeper into the depths of sorrow and pain than anywhere else in all his writings. He's very open with the Corinthians about his struggles with suffering and with depression. He's very open about his hurt and his pain. But through it all, he's come to understand the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in a new and deeper way. And he sees how the whole church is knit together as one unified global body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. The whole church is connected. And through it all, Paul comes to know a deep and abiding comfort that finds its root in the powerful, unshakable work of God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is the deep underlying theme of this second letter to the Corinthians, that God is bigger than the suffering and pain of this world, bringing joy out of sorrow, bringing reconciliation out of conflict, bringing life out of death. And that's why we've called this series, that's why we've titled this series Light Out of Darkness, 
Because throughout this letter, we see the resurrection power of God to bring light and goodness out of the darkness of our lives. Throughout this letter, Paul expresses his joy at his restored relationship with, his, with the Corinthians, with his church. He encourages the Christians there to continue to give generously to Christians who are suffering persecution, and he continues to defend his authority as an apostle against the, the people in that church who are looking to discredit him, and we'll see all of that unfold over these next few weeks. But as we begin this series now with chapter one, let's ask for God to bless us to send us his Holy Spirit and to bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. O Lord our God, who caused light to shine out of darkness, we thank you that you have made your light shine in our lives through the light of the knowledge of the glory of God revealed to us in the face of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that as we read through the second letter to the Corinthians together as a congregation, that you would set always before us the face of Christ. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to inspire us, to strengthen us in virtue and in understanding. We pray that your Spirit would fill us, open our hearts, open our minds, and transform us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Oh, I never told you what page it was on, but you all seem to have found it, so that's good. 2 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 1. There it is. Page 1794. 2 Corinthians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we read these opening sentences of the second letter of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians, we can feel his emotion. These words are dripping with excitement, with joy, with love, with a sense of urgency as Paul reaches out in love to a church that is very dear to him, that he has struggled with deeply in his ministry and in his prayers, even while he was away from them. We don't know exactly what happened between Paul and the Corinthian church between the time that Paul wrote First and Second Corinthians, but we do know that it was very painful. As we work our way through this letter, you'll see that Paul sort of scatters this story throughout the letter of traveling from Ephesus to Troas to Macedonia, looking for Titus, who he knows will bring him news about the Corinthian church, anxiously waiting for news. There has obviously been some sort of hurtful exchange between Paul and the Corinthian church. There are people in the church there who are questioning his authority, questioning his character, questioning the motives of his missionary work among them. And that's something that has cut Paul to his core. And he hasn't always responded in ways that were kind either. And the sorrowful, the sorrowful words that Paul said and wrote to the Corinthians haunted him causing him deep regret, even to the point of deep depression and anxiety over his relationship with the church. We know that Paul had sent Titus to Corinth to act as a sort of mediator for their relationship. And we know that Paul has been anxiously waiting for, t for Titus to return with news about the church. Paul waits for Titus in Ephesus, but when the waiting became overwhelming, he went to Troas, a city on the coast where boats often traveled back and forth from Corinth. And when he couldn't handle waiting anymore, he began the long, hard journey across the land to the north through Macedonia, where he saw the poverty and persecution that was facing the churches there. And finally, while Paul was traveling through Macedonia, tormented in both body and soul, he found Titus, who brought him the good news that the church in Corinth was ready to reconcile. And this is when Paul writes 2 Corinthians after receiving this joyful news that the Corinthian church still loved him and wanted to reconcile with him. Paul begins this letter the way he begins most of his letters to the churches. After his standard greeting in which he offers his own greetings and also the greetings of the Lord, he offers a prayer to God that sets the tone for the whole rest of the letter. And Paul usually uses this prayer of thanksgiving at the beginning of his letters to the churches to introduce the theme of the letter. And as we read through this prayer of Paul to God for the church in Corinth, it's not hard for us to see what theme dominates his thoughts toward the church there. 
comfort. Paul uses the word comfort in some form or another ten times in five verses in this passage. Ten times in five verses. To say that comfort is on his mind almost doesn't even begin to capture it. It's almost like an obsession. Comfort. Paul prays for the Corinthians to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And here Paul touches on something very powerful and very mysterious about the Christian life and about the gospel that he has come to understand more deeply through his own suffering over the past months and years At the heart of Paul's prayer for the Corinthian church is the great comfort that the whole church is united in Christ, our head. And so all of the things that are true about Jesus, all of the things that are true about the Messiah become true for his people. And this isn't just a theological truth for Paul, it's a fact of his experience. And this letter will come back to this theme again and again. What is true about the Messiah is true for his people. What is true about Jesus is true for his church. Jesus died. And so people die in him, sharing in his suffering and even in his death. Jesus rose again, and so people rise in him. The power of the resurrection brings comfort and healing to people who are suffering already now in their present circumstances, but also in the knowledge that one day they, like Jesus, will be raised from the dead, given glorious resurrection bodies like the one that Christ has now. This unity between Christ and his people, the reality of the power of the resurrection in our lives already now is a constant theme that comes up throughout this letter. God brings light out of darkness, joy out of suffering, good out of evil, life out of death. He did it in the life of Jesus, and he does it in our lives, too. This is where Paul has found comfort in his suffering. And this comfort is extended to the Corinthians, too. Paul has been traveling throughout Macedonia on his way to find Titus and eventually visit the Corinthians again. And he's been hard-pressed on every side, not only because he's seeing firsthand the persecution and the poverty that face the churches in Macedonia, but also because he is tormented in his soul because of his relationship with the Corinthians. Paul is suffering from profound anxiety and depression over his broken relationship, but at the same time, he's confronted with the difficult reality of the persecution that the churches in Macedonia face every day of their lives. And it teaches him something powerful about the Christian church. 
Paul realizes that the suffering of the churches in Macedonia is experienced by the Corinthians too. Not because the Corinthians are facing the same troubles as the churches in Macedonia, but because they are united in Christ. And that helps Paul to realize that his own struggles, his own suffering are shared by the church as well. He doesn't carry these burdens alone. He doesn't wrestle with anxiety and depression and torment in his soul by himself. This is a burden that is shared by the whole church because they are all united in Christ. So the conflict facing the churches in Macedonia affects Paul and affects the churches in Corinth. And the conflict facing the church in Corinth affects Paul and the churches in Macedonia. And the depression that is crushing Paul's soul is shared by the churches in Corinth and Macedonia because they are all united in Christ. And to Paul, this is a source of great comfort. It brings him comfort because it means that the most basic thing that all Christians share is that they are united in the power of the God who raises the dead, who comforts them in their troubles, who brings light out of darkness. And this is a comfort that's shared by all Christians in all times and all places. The whole Christian church across the world and throughout history is united in Christ, in the power of his resurrection. And what a great comfort that is. This word that Paul uses so much throughout his prayer, this word comfort, is a powerful word. Even in English, it's a powerful word. When I was living with my grandpa in my first years of seminary, I was a neighbor to Richard Weavers. Richard Weavers was a professor of Latin and Greek at Calvin College back when my parents were going to college. Um, and he, his, his lifelong work has been the translation of the Heidelberg Catechism, the ongoing translation of the Heidelberg Catechism. And if you ever wanted to get Richard to talk for a few hours, You'd ask him to talk about the word comfort. He loved this word. He loved this word in Latin, in Greek, in German, and in English. He loved this word because it's such a powerful word. You see the root of the word, fort, like fortress. This is a word of strength, a word of power. This is why the reformers used this word so much, like we confess in the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism. Our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong body and soul in living and in dying. That's Richard's translation. In living and in dying to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a word of strength. This word comfort doesn't just mean consolation, the way that we sometimes use it. We talk about comforting people in their grief, and, and by that, a lot of the time we mean that we're, we're making people feel a little bit less terrible about everything that's going on. But the word comfort is deeper than that. The word comfort is more profound. It's about more than that. 
When we use the word comfort in the Christian tradition, we're talking about more than just helping people feel okay. We're talking about helping people see hope and joy and meaning in life in spite of the suffering that they're going through. We're talking about finding a reason to go on, finding a reason to live in the face of soul-crushing anxiety and depression the way that Paul talks about here. The word that Paul uses here in the Greek is paraklesis, a word that is very layered in its meaning. It means comfort, it means help, advocacy, friendship, nearness, It's this deep, layered word about the presence of someone who walks alongside you, who carries your burdens with you, who speaks out for you when you can't find the words to speak for yourself. It's the same word that John uses in the Gospel of John to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, a constant presence, reassuring us of God's love and protection giving us words to say when we can't find words for ourselves, reassuring us of the power of God to make all things new, to bring light out of darkness, to bring joy out of suffering, reassuring us of the power of God to raise the dead. And this is where Paul finds his comfort. A comfort that's not only for him, but also for the church that's united to him in Jesus Christ. This is where Paul finds his comfort when he finds himself under great pressure beyond his ability to endure. This is where Paul finds his comfort even as he despairs of life, when he feels the sentence of death in his own heart. When he feels everything pressing against him to the point where he just feels like giving up on life. Paul finds comfort in the God who is always present to us through the Holy Spirit, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God who raises the dead. Paul's suffering in Asia demonstrates the resurrection power of Christ in his own life. Out of deep depression and persecution, Paul has rediscovered an abiding faith and hope in the promises of the God who raises the dead. And as he brings to an end this first section of the letter, Paul reminds the Corinthians of their responsibility to pray. To pray for him to pray for the churches in Macedonia, to pray for the work of God around the world. Because Paul knows that when two people or two communities pray for each other continually, pray seriously for each other, there's a bond that forms between them. And this this isn't any ordinary human bond. When two communities pray seriously and continuously for each other, they are united evermore in the power of of the Holy Spirit. And when they come together again, they find that their relationship has been transformed in a way that they can't explain. And that's what Paul's realizing as he travels through Macedonia to meet the Corinthians. He's been praying for them and they've been praying for him. And God has worked through their prayers to draw them closer together, even though they are far apart. They share 
in suffering, and they share in comfort. And this is something that we have the opportunity to experience today as we welcome our dear friends, Gary and Galia, two people who we have been praying for continuously in a church that we have been praying for continuously, both together as a congregation and individually in our own homes. And through our prayers, God has drawn us closer together, uniting us in a bond that finds its security in Jesus Christ, in the power of the God who raises the dead. We share in your joys and in your sufferings. We share in your comfort. And we thank God for your presence among us here today. Paul found comfort in the resurrection power of Jesus. In his own anxiety and depression, in the face of the persecution that was, that was affecting the churches in Macedonia, and in the face of the conflict that existed between him and the church in Corinth, Paul found comfort in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul found that this resurrection power of God wasn't just something that existed in theology, wasn't just something that existed in his study. It was something that was very real in his own life, giving him hope in the face of suffering, comfort in the face of conflict, life in the face of death. God has a way of transforming our present circumstances, bringing powerful stories of forgiveness, of healing, and peace out of terrible situations of conflict, persecution, and horror. And we're going to be sharing some of these kinds of stories throughout this series to, to demonstrate the power of the resurrection at work in the world throughout history. And I want to end the sermon today with a powerful story that was brought to my attention by a friend of mine in seminary who visited Romania a couple of years ago. One of the places that my friend Dylan visited while he was in Romania was the Peteshti prison, which was a place where the communist authorities practiced experimental brainwashing and torture in the 40s and 50s against Orthodox Christians who were opposed to communist rule. The tortures that faced these prisoners, most of whom were high school or university age, were awful. And I'm not going to go into the details of them. But many of the tortures were designed to mock their Christian faith. And many of the prisoners died as martyrs. My friend Dylan visited the Peteshti prison a couple of years ago, and he knew about the horrible things that had happened there. And so he was preparing himself mentally the whole ride there, which was quite a long drive. He was preparing himself mentally for a somber and a painful visit through the prison. But as he got off the bus, his, his mental preparations were immediately ruined because the nuns who he had traveled to the prison with got out and started joking and chatting with the woman who was going to be giving him a tour of the prison. And after a short and cheerful conversation, the nuns told Dylan that they were going to go to the chapel to pray while Maria took him on a tour of the prison. And so as the tour of the prison began, Dylan started to sort of mentally prepare himself again, preparing himself for the horrors that he was about to face. Maria took him down to the basement, which was a very short part of the tour because it had flooded the night before and the basement was full of water. 
But Dylan thought that even though there hadn't been any torture that took place in the basement, it, it certainly seemed like a haunting place, the light reflecting off of the water to make eerie images on the walls, like something out of a ghost story. From the basement, Maria took Dylan up a long flight of spiraling stairs, explaining to him that this, this staircase was the, on, was the site of the only successful suicide in the prison, after which the prison guards covered the opening in the middle of the staircase with a metal grate so that people couldn't jump down. When the torturer, the lead torturer, would walk up the staircase, he would clang on the railing and clang on this metal gate, and the sound of the clanging metal became itself a source of terrible fear and torment for the prisoners who were kept there. When they reached the top of the stairs, they walked through a hallway that was lined with cells where the prisoners had been kept. And at the end of the hallway, Dylan knew, was the torture room, the torture chamber, where terrible experiments had been carried out against Orthodox Christians for their faith. And in that room, at the end of the hallway, in the torture room, Dylan saw the nuns who had come to the prison with him, which confused him because they had told him that they were going to the chapel. But when he walked in to the torture room, everything became clear. Images of Christ and the saints covered the walls. And at the front of the room was a table for celebrating the Lord's Supper and the cross of Christ. The torture room had been transformed into a chapel. This room where young Christians were tortured in mockery of their faith had been transformed into a room where they could worship their God and Father in spirit and in truth. This room that had been characterized by death and horror had been transformed into a room characterized by the joy and hope of the resurrection life found in Jesus Christ. This room that had been a symbol of the power of a regime opposed to God was now a testimony to the power of the God who raises the dead. One survivor of Pateshti prison who bravely came back to face the place that had been the source of his suffering and pain said that walking into that room was like finding the upside-down cross of the devil turned back by God. The Romanian Orthodox word for chapel is paraclesis. The same word for comfort that Paul uses in this passage. A transforming, life-giving, powerful presence. And that's what the Pateshti Chapel was, a very real symbol of the resurrection power of God to bring light out of darkness. This is the comfort that Paul found in the power of God, the power of God to bring joy out of suffering, to bring light out of darkness, to bring resurrection life out of death. This is the comfort that he shares with the church in Corinth, with the churches in Macedonia, and with us today. 
Because we know that no matter our circumstances, no matter what troubles we face, no matter what joy or griefs may come our way in this path of life, our God is bigger than our troubles. Our God is more powerful than our suffering. He is greater than the principalities of this world. It's in him that we find our comfort, in him that we find grace and peace, in him that we find joy and meaning in life when the evil of the world threatens to overwhelm us. It is to him that we look and find our hope, our faith, our life in Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. O Lord, our God, we thank you and we praise you for the comfort that is ours in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are a God who creates light out of darkness who creates everything out of nothing, who brings joy in our sorrow, who brings comfort in our suffering, who brings peace in our turmoil, who brings resurrection life in the face of death. Lord, we thank you that we are united as your church in the power of your resurrection. We pray that you would send us your Holy Spirit to transform us and to fill us with this power of your love. We pray that our lives would be a living testimony to the power of the resurrection in the world. Lord, we thank you for all these things and we praise your name. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.